This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Ellen. This is a show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I'm alone right now, but at about 445, we're going to be, it'll be time to do your job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports 101.com. We have a lot to talk about today. First, we'll talk about the Celtics heartbreaking season opening game and what it means for them, the NBA, and the rest of the NBA season. Also, we'll talk about the Patriots game against the Jets last Sunday, what we think for that team going forward. We have some Red Sox notes to hit on, some random, not even sports stuff, just from around the world, and maybe even hit on, hit on a little bit of Bruins stuff. Anyway, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. With all that out of the way, we are going to dive right in. All right, so a lot happened with the Celtics last night, but oh, oh no, what's that? What's that? What are we? What's this here? Oh man, what is this? No, we're not about to be joined by the Murphquake, Brian Murphy, friend of the show. How are you, Brian? Oh, Brian Murphy, friend of the show, the Murphquake. How are you? Good, Jake. How are you? Good. Did you, did you like that? Like my little earthquake sounds? Yeah. <laughs> I did hear that a little bit. I did like that. I was sitting in my last class just Googling stock image earthquake sounds on YouTube, trying to find, like, putting it up to my ear, hoping that the professor didn't notice, trying to get the, when you said you were going to call it, I'm like, ooh, I know I'm finally going to make this, this earthquake liner happen. But. Hey, it was executed beautifully. Well, we got all the fun stuff out of the way, so. This sucks. What happened yesterday with the Celtics? Yeah. If you didn't watch the yeah. game, uh, Gordon Hayward, within about five minutes of the game, went down with a very, very, very ugly ankle injury. It was within the first five minutes of the game. He had two points at the time. He went up for a Kyrie Irving threw him an oop. He jumped up to get the lob, fell down, and his ankle was not facing the right way. After he got up, he was put had this like giant leg thing that I've never seen before put around his leg. Everybody was like praying for him. Everybody looked devastated. They knew exactly what it was. And he was brought off the court immediately on a stretcher. Looked like he was taking it pretty well for all things considered. And he's still at uh, Boston general, I believe, or he's at, he's in Boston being evaluated. Now he was able to fly home, which is a good sign, but preliminary reports are, Original diagnosis from the Cleveland doctors is that he fractured his ankle, broke his tibula. There's no structural damage. There's no structural damage, which is very good. No blood vessels were affected. But best, best case scenario, assuming that that's a diagnosis, because these things can always change. Best, best case scenario for Gordon Hayward would be that he could come back by the end of March. So a little bit before the playoffs. But even if that was the case... He would not be 100%. And very, it's, cons- it's very easy to say that Gordon Hayward's season could very well be over five minutes into the first game. Brian? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it, it kind of says it all, right, when you see that. And, and even if he does come back at the end of the year, he's – I mean, think about the mental – 
what you go through mentally when you see your ankle turned to the left. I'm sure it's going to be a whole confidence thing for him coming back as well. Yeah, be afraid that that'll happen every time he jumps. Exactly, exactly. So it'll remain to be seen how effective he is when he comes back. If he comes back this season, which I... Yeah, right. Which, honestly, a part of me, if it's like a matter of him not being 100%, I would almost say hold him out. But, I mean, we'll read that situation when we get to it, obviously. We don't know how it's going to look, what the surgery is going to look like. There's going to be surgery, but, right. you know, we'll see what the case is with that when it happens. But, yeah, this is this is devastating, honestly, because this was – I was so – and me and I'm sure basically all Celtics fans were so excited for this game to see this new-look team. This team is only returning four players. You know, gone was, you know, the scrappy overachievingness of last year in income, a team of, you know, real legit NBA players. Well, I'd say last year's team wasn't real NBA players, but, you know, high draft picks, established all-star caliber guys, guys with a lot of athleticism, a lot of guys with scoring ability, just a lot of excitement surrounding this team. Even with the cherry on top, I loved the uh, I loved what they opted to do with the starting lineup. I love that they were starting Brown and Tatum. And they come into this, and you're all excited. Kyrie makes a makes a basket. First possession is looking good. They're moving the ball, and down goes your all-star max contract signing that we all spent all of last season hyping us up ourselves up that we were going to get, if that makes it any worse. Because really, we've all been spending about a year and a half, maybe two years, ex- hyping ourselves up to see Gordon Hayward in a Celtics uniform. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, man, I just, just hearing you say it, it's tough. Because you, look, you just look forward to all season, such a, or all summer at least, such a great off season by Danny. And a lot of excitement around this team, and I think it just—it's devastating. It, it takes the air out of the balloon big time. So, and you could see we'll, it. We'll see. And you could see Go it ahead. in the way in the team too. I mean, after he went down, they looked deflated. Oh, yeah. Which, oh yeah, for the first half they looked deflated. They were down by twenty going half. In the second half, they really came on strong, which I think says a decent amount about this team, which is good because you, know, you always worry about, you know, just what the, I guess what the spirit's going to be of a team when it's an all new team and an all new makeover. Not to say that, you know, before this game, I would have said I w- wasn't going to judge them or make any real determinations on this team based on this game one way or the other, but it, it was good to see that they came back in the second half and they... <laughs> They ended up losing in the second half, but they were able to overcome a 20-point deficit. They were up by a decent amount of time, which was good to see from them. But, yeah, this really changes the whole dynamic of this season, the way we look at this team, I think. I mean, do you agree with that, Brian? I mean, this changes a lot of things. Yeah, this is this is devastating. I think you, you're, looking at, you're looking at the top two teams in the East with Cleveland and the Celtics before going into last night. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I don't even know. It's kind of tough to where to place them because they've obviously never played together. And so you don't really know how exactly they'll, they'll continue this season. But, I mean, certainly the Cavs are the clear in a way top team in the East. If, yeah, and, if they weren't before, they certainly are now. Yeah, and, that's really, and that is what sucks because before tonight, I was, you know, as negative as a Celtics truther as I am, I was really willing to say before this season, so before yesterday, that, you know, that this Celtics team could conceivably, you know, with Isaiah Thomas being hurt, with him not potentially going to be at full strength all year, 
he could be hobbled. Away. I was willing to say, you know, the Celtics, they have a chance. If all this talent gels and some guys develop, they have a chance to unseat the Cavs. But now, without Gordon Hayward, you're losing your other all-star in this team. That, uh, you're right, I have a really hard time saying now that the Celtics could beat the Cavs in the playoffs, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it kind of, it, it sucks because it takes you right back to where you were last year, basically, where you're just in the pack with, assumably, Toronto, Washington, who, mind you, I think that both those teams after last offseason, after this offseason, have gotten worse. I think that's fair to say that the Wizards lost every meaningful player on their bench, who, which means that they lost Bogdanovich. And the Raptors lost some decent players. They lost P.J. Tucker. They lost, I can't remember, but the Raptors lost some players. So those two teams have gotten worse. But then I guess if we want to get in the radical, well, not radical speculations, but just looking at things, I mean, Eyeballing it right now, Brian, I mean, is this Celtics team without Hayward better than last year's team? Or do they have the potential to be better than last year's team? I mean, what do you see in that regard? Well, I, I definitely think they have the potential. I think it's kind of weird because I think they're better offensively than they were last year. Mm-hmm. But I just I just can't see them being better defensively. I think, I mean, I think Tatum at least makes them better offensively. Mm-hmm. But you lost, I mean, you lost Crowder, Bradley. You, you know, obviously, I I in plenty of defense, but that's that's tough. Yeah, and, that's um, tough losing that defensively. And I'll say that Hayward defensively isn't like a loss, really. Right. Hayward is not a great. He's a decent defender. He's not a minus defensively. So I mean. I suppose that is the point, but you're right. I mean, they do lose some of that. You know, they, They've they lost some of that. Now, mind you, last night, I think the team looked good defensively, all things considered. And you can really get into my observations about the team from the game last night in a few minutes. But just, I it almost feels like you're back in the same spot where now you just, you're centered around a point guard. You're centered around your point guard, right. who, mind you, Kyrie Irving is a better player than Isaiah. I'll come I'll come around to that finally. I was kind of fighting that for a little while, but I'll come around to that to seeing him last night. Yeah, I feel way better watching him. I'll admit it. Like just watching it just felt better than watching Isaiah. I Man, it had to do with the talent around him right. too, but it, you're back to where you were last year, where your point guard is a focal point. And mind you, it seems like they might have more guys that can score, but you know, I want to wait and see on that, seeing as how it's only been one game, but yeah, I don't know. I, I need to see more from this team because there are a lot of question marks. There are a lot of good question marks because they're just question marks of, you know, Brown, Tatum, how are they going to develop? What kind of pace will they be able to keep up? Who will they become? Not saying that they'll become all-stars caliber players, at least not this year. I think they both have the potential to eventually be that. But realistically, nobody really ever gets to that level year two. but Or year year one, even, for in the case of Tatum. But you get my point. If they can be decent people. I don't think we're going to see Jalen Brown drop, drop 25 points every night, but he looked like a better player. Right now. But he looked like yeah, a better player, exactly. at least last night when he was being you know guarded by Dwayne Wade and J.R. Smith. But, well, and LeBron at times, so that's in fairness to that. But, yeah, I don't know if I can say that, but I, well, in fairness, say IT never comes back this season, or he comes back and he's hobbled, goes back on the IR. I mean, then is it more even? 
at that point, if the Cel- if the Cavs are going with, you know, Derek Rose, D Wade, LeBron, Crowder, and Kevin Love all year, at that point, is it more even or? It's still so tough. And, and another wild card we're not really talking about is how, what, Kyrie Irving on his own now. I mean, could he have a Russell Westbrook type of season? I mean, he's I, he's probably not as involved. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I don't think he's gonna. I don't. I somebody else brought that up to me. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because a Josh Percy GM guest of the show, yada yada yada, host of the Josh Percy Sports Insider, if that show ever happens again. He brought up that same point to me, and I have a hard time saying that because obviously they're different players, but also I think the talent around Kyrie, and I don't think this is even much of a hot take. I mean, the, this Celtics team is better than the Thunder last year. Kyrie right. has better talent around him than, you know, Steven Adams and Andre Robertson. No mind you, love the player, but he has better talent around him. He has more athletic guys. He has other guys who can score. He has... Other guys who have, or another guy who has made an all-star team before. So, and also Kyrie's is not the type of player. He's not as big. He's not as strong. So he's not going to get those rebounds. He's not going to have the defensive performance that you saw Russ work. So I wouldn't go that far, but you're right. It's interesting that now suddenly, you know, Kyrie, like, yeah, Kyrie, like now you do get to be your own man. Like this is your team now. I mean, it will be kind of interesting to see now. Is the offense going to go back to kind of a point where it was last year, where now your point guard is the focal point and teams are only are honing in on him and forcing your other guys to score? And if that's the case, do you at least feel better about this team's ability to score than last year? I mean, do you have more faith in, I don't know, Tatum and Brown than you did in Bradley and Crowder to be the secondary scorers? I, I I just need to see more. I'm not I'm not really ready to go there because I mean Tatum and Brown are are, are going to be the guys to step up and turn. I mean they're going to be the guys that need to, to score the basketball because I mean Smart and Morris off the bench you're not going to get that much production from. I guess Rozier will come in and play some some big minutes, but I mean Rozier's looked Brown good through the preseason, so I'll give him that. I mean Rozier looked he did look good. He looked good last and night he, even. He looked yeah, he looked pretty decent last night. Well, I mean, you know, um, I mean Rozier's not going to be their savior. Rozier doesn't make up for right. Gordon Hayward, but I will yeah, say that so, Rozier I mean, looked. Rozier is a player who's seemingly on the rise. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's certainly got to be someone that steps up, and it's kind of. I'm just I'm thinking it's going to be one of those two young players. Yeah, and last night it was it was Jalen Brown. I mean, last night, right? Jalen yeah. Brown coming. And also, we need to hope that you know, it's not Marcus Smart, which is the last thing I want to see is Marcus Smart come in now and try to take, you know, 16 shots a game like he did last night yeah, and go. 28 points in the, uh, in the playoffs against the Cavs is not, not ever going to happen again. Yeah, no. So, I mean, that's and – I, and I hold by this that – and I kind of want to talk about Marcus Smart's, you know, his contract extension situation with that in a minute, but <laughs> – I, I stand by this, and I would love Marcus Smart. I would love him as a player. I would have very little problem with him if he took, like, half as many shots. Right. If he just took half as many shots, I'd love him. Or, you know, if he develops that shot, but, you know, I'm going easy on him with that. But, 
Yeah, so you get into that, and now from a lineup perspective now, well, well, no, I'll get to what I liked about this game first. I'll get to I'll get to the positives before about last night, since we're talking about last night, and it's hard to evaluate for the future. Things I liked, I mean, Jalen Brown, all in all, he missed a he missed a potential game winner, but that didn't bug me. To me, at least. I don't know how you feel about this, Brian, but Jalen Brown taking that shot, even if he didn't make it, sent a good message to me. It sent a message that he's confident. It sent a message that he's not afraid to take those kind of shots, which you want to see out of a guy who picked third overall, who the team's obvious, who the team is pretty clearly in love with, loves him as a player. So to see him do that, to see him really go head-to-head with LeBron a lot of the night, and not shut him down, but play some decent defense against LeBron. He wasn't afraid to take him on. That was good to see. And I, I mean, I mean, do you share that thought with me, or am I just being too easy on him for missing a game winner? Oh no, Brown was outstanding tonight. He definitely exceeded all my expectations. Because I mean, you watched him last year; he kind of looked a little lost yeah, at times. Did. And that's obviously uh, that's obviously part of being a rookie. But he he stepped up in a big way last night, so I'm very impressed with him. Yeah, and hopefully that's now that's what you want to see him keep up because obviously we can talk about it as that's something that's going to happen every night, but that's really foolish to say at this point. Then another player who I was really impressed with, honestly, was Aaron Baines. I thought Baines yeah. looked phenomenal when he played outside of, you know, getting five fouls, but outside of getting into foul trouble, he looked Really good last night as a rim protector, as a rebounder. He obviously finished the game with only six points, but he had five rebounds, and he had he was he was protecting the paint. He really was protecting the rim in a way that this team did didn't have a guy to do last year. And I just I he looked good in the preseason. He's a guy who I think he was he was an underrated. He was an under. So what I'm looking for like just a unheralded addition during the offseason. But at least from last night, he looked really good. I just, what did he have that one block on? Who was it, on Dwayne Wade? Or something that was just a textbook block. It looked like the block that LeBron had on Iggy in uh, Game 7 a couple years ago. Like, he just, I don't, that just felt good. That play in itself just made me feel really good about his potential to at least become that big off the bench that this team did not have last year. That this team was trying to make Kelly Olynyk be last year. And maybe a guy who they could, you know, as we maybe segue into discussing lineups, a guy who could maybe start on nights where they want some more size in the starting lineup. I've talked a little bit about how I like the flexibility of this team's starting lineup. I don't think they're necessarily going to commit to one set lineup every night just because they have versatility. They have guys who can play multiple positions. Stevens obviously believes in that positionless basketball so they can kind of, you know, tweak their lineups to go at certain opponents. But, I mean, just... Were there any things in the game that I haven't mentioned that stood out to you, impressed you, you didn't like? Just Well, I, th- I think, I mean, Baines is a great point. I think you hit on it perfectly. They can go. He gives them a lot of versatility in terms of being able to play big and having an anchor defensively where you can, you can kind of hide Kyrie a little bit in the defense. Um, other observations, I think Kyrie obviously looked – he looked probably about what I expected. I will say uh, I'm gl- gotta- one thing. I'm sorry to cut you off, but one thing I'm happy about is that we watch Kyrie play, and after the game, we're saying 
hey, I really wish Kyrie had taken more shots. Right. Which got, I mean, which I can't say I wasn't a little bit afraid of. We were going to be saying the opposite after kind of him not you know, kind of forcing his way out of Cleveland. I was a little worried that there was that off chance. You know, he was going to come in, want the ball himself, but he was very willing to pass the ball, finished with 10 assists. And yeah, I feel good that we're ending, that we, that we came out of this game being like, oh man, I hope that they let Kyrie have more touches, which is an excellent thing to be saying about a player who, you know, doesn't have a reputation for being selfish, but you wouldn't have been shocked if he had kind of tried to dominate the ball handling. You're right. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, any other sort of observations from you, any players you liked, any players you didn't, that didn't impress you guys who didn't really live up to what you were thinking. Uh, I mean, I found myself a couple times feeling like it was last year, a little bit with Marcus smart sort of when he has the ball late in the shot clock, he's really looking for his own shot. And he just, same gripes as last year. He just can't do that. He's got to look for the scorers in the offense. He really can't. I mean, if, you, if you're Brad Stevens, you really just want him taking shots, you know, within 15, 10 feet of the basket. You really don't want him on the, on the key with the shot clock ticking down, you know, looking to take that shot. Who was that? Sorry, I don't smart. know if you noticed that too. Sorry, who yeah, are you t- smart? Who were I was switching headphones at the time. The headphones were being a little wonky, but yeah, no. I mean, like I said, I agree with you on that. And there were negotiations. I don't know how much you really looked at this, but basically, I believe it was the day before the season. It was. It came out because since Marcus Smart is going to be a restricted free agent, I believe the day before the season, or like a half a day before, is when the is the deadline to sign your upcoming restricted free agents to contract extensions, and the Celtics and Smart's camp were unable to come to terms of an extension. People were speculating. These are not numbers that come from, you know, any actual source, but people were speculating that they were negotiating a deal that would have been in, like, I don't know, the $14, $15 million per year range. Reportedly, you know, the two sides were kind of, they were close, but not completely close. So it's not like, so nobody was really, no, so it's not like Smart was insulted insulted by the offers or anything, but they weren't able to get a deal done. So he'll be a free agent at the end of this year. And reading that, I was happy about that, in all honesty. I would, and I talked about this with some other people, I would have, I would actually prefer the team to let Smart go in, which they're doing, to let Smart go into the season as a free agent. Because I still, and I think a lot of Celtics fans, we still have a lot of questions about this guy. I like his contributions on defense. You have to love it. He's a tenacious defender. He can guard multiple positions, all that, yada, 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 all the good things. But, Right, the offensive shortcomings, the issues he's had in the past. I would just, you know, I would like another year to see if he's ironed any of that out, see if losing, you know, 20 pounds as he did in the offseason, getting a little leaner, if that helps him, if his shot is under him, because his shot looked good in the preseason, if his three ball is a little better, all these things. And, you know, I just, I would rather have the year see those, make sure those things are good or at a level where I feel comfortable paying a guy that kind of money and maybe have to pay him a couple extra million per year than maybe you would have if you had signed him right now, but at least you feel comfortable that you know who this guy is. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Smart is he's kind of one of those guys like last year where it was like you won't really, I mean, you won't really mind if he gets overpaid as long as it's not by the by the Celtics. 
So, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, with these extension talks, they, Mm -hmm. the guys always get overpaid. Yeah. Which is why once again, I would like to, I prefer to get the last year of his contract. I prefer him to play it out just so we can see it. We can see, we don't, the team doesn't have to speculate that, Hey, we think Marcus smart is going to get, you know, X amount better on offense. I'd rather just see it, you know, and if he gets better and if, you know, he gets to that point where he's worth, you know, he plays like a 16, $17 million a year player, then so be it. Pay him that, you know, at that point I have no problem with it, but yeah, I would rather see it than speculate on it. You know, I'd, I'd rather pay the extra 2 million to feel comfortable with that kind of deal, whatever the money would be, or, you know, or he becomes an absolutely dominant offensive player and he's a max guy and then whatever, hold another can of war- worms, but I'm sure that's not going to happen. But I mean, currently, Going into the season, which, you know, yesterday, going into the season, I felt like, you know, Smart could be a guy who could make any, could still be, depending on what the team does with their lineups, but he felt to me like a guy who, if he could improve on some of these things, could be a guy who could make a run at sixth man of the year. But now we'll see what they do with the lineup, but I felt like I could do that, a defensive anchor, if he got better at shooting, if he went to, you know, got up to 35, 37% from three, that would be, you know, a whole new world for him. That would make him a totally different player. And then he could be a guy who could make a run at that kind of award. But now with Hayward down, something I keep putting off. But, I mean, what do you see the team doing with their lineup going forward? Like, what do you see them doing with the starting lineup? Do you think they move Jalen Brown to the three, bring Smart in, put him at the two like they were doing for a lot of the game? Do they maybe move Horford to the four, move Tatum to the three, bring or bring Morrison at the three or the four, bring Baines in. I mean, what do you, there are a lot of combinations, I guess, you know, what do you see? Well, I think like you mentioned earlier, he's, he kind of going to jungle it up a little bit. I mean, I would expect to see smart come into the lineup for now, at least. Right. Um, most experienced guy. I, yep. Yeah. I could definitely see Baines and I love, I mean, thinking about it, I love that lineup where you go big and you have Brown at the two, Tatum at the three, Horford at the four, and then Baines at the five. I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty good lineup, and I think you can at least just be bigger than a lot of teams mm-hmm. defensively, and then you could, you could make a pretty solid defensive unit out of that group. So I personally would like to see that lineup, but I think it's going to be smart. I mean, I would just assume based on the experience. Yeah, thing, the most tenured guy in the system, trust, yep. Right. So, I mean, I would assume to see that, but personally, I would love to see Baines more. I I mean, I like the capability of Baines coming off the bench. I just, just like that because also I think Horford played very well last night. Mind you, he was going up against, you know, Kevin Love in the paint, but I really like the way in Baines, too. I like the team seemed to have a very easy time running the pick and roll last night, which probably has a lot to do with Kyrie, honestly, the threat right, of Kyrie right. Irving. But still, the team... But even when Smart was in, though, they seemed to have a very easy time running those pick-and-roll sets, which is great to see. But honestly, Horford looked good last night. And I like this team with Horford at the center. I do like Horford playing the five, if they can make that happen. I like the way he stretches the floor. I like what he has his team when he's, you know, willing to play defensively. Obviously, he's not a dominant inside guy. But, you know, how many of the teams that the Celtics really care about are really going to be competing with even have that dominant inside guy when you get to it you know against a lot of the teams that the Celtics are going against you know at least you know the top couple teams in the east the Warriors even I don't know 
the Thunder, the Rockets, whoever you consider the top teams in the West. None of these teams really have a dominant big man, and in a lot of ways, the Celtics kind of have a size advantage on them, even being a small team with Horford at the five, which is kind of crazy to think about. At least with the NBA's going in terms of big men, that now having Horford suddenly makes you big. But it's just... You look at the Celtics now, and then you look at the Western Conference even, and then if you want to just kind of bring it back to bring it down a little bit again, bring the whole mood down a little bit again, to see the kind of even now where do you rank the Celtics in terms of teams in the league? I don't know what your rankings are for the Western Conference teams, but just overall if you were to do a power ranking even, like where do you put the Celtics? I still feel like you put them number two in the East. I feel like I feel pretty comfortable putting them above, you know, the Wizards and the Raptors, at least for now, just because I'm assuming that some things are going to get better for the Celtics, which maybe is unfair to those other two teams just because they have the consistency, they have the returning starting lineups. But just because I'm assuming that, you know, there's a lot of upside to this lineup, I think that they'll, I would hope that they'll be better. But in terms of just, you know, I guess, you know, would you say that, you know, the top three West teams are the Warriors, Rockets, and Thunder in some order? Yeah, probably that order. Yeah, and then the Spurs are close four because you always got to take into account them. Right, right. So, they so probably extended probably the Marcus in Aldridge. That order, yeah, I mean, the, then right, where did that the, was terrible. I mean, I don't even know. I wish I did Spurs radio just so I could talk about that. But anyway, where do you? I guess where do you even put the Celtics in that mix? I mean, I I assume you'd say the Cavs are two, are the second best team after the Warriors. Yes, right now, yes. Yeah, and then after that, I mean, do you put the Celtics above the Rockets and the Thunder? Do you put them below them? Do you put them below the Rockets and above the Thunder? I mean, what do you – how do you fangle this? Where do you feel like the Celtics lie right now? I think going into last night, you – going into last night, I would say they were firmly a top six team, top, top, probably a top five team. So mm-hmm. probably just, you know, with, within, within the Thunder and the Rockets uh, – Mm-hmm. before going to last night, but I think they kind of, they clearly exited that second tier, and now they're in with the Spurs. Um, I would assume probably the Timberwolves will be around with them too. And honestly, you might have to elevate the Ra- the Raptors up to where the Celtics are now if you just look at the way the teams are built. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think the Celtics are clearly better than the Raptors, but they're kind of in the same tier. Yeah, yeah. In no, terms no. of being being one or two players away from being in that next tier. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, if I had to say right now, I would put the Celtics at four or five. I'd say in that area. Okay, I don't really. Wow. Four or five. Yeah, I would because I'm not I'm not willing to put them below the Spurs as much as I love the Spurs and love Popovich and all that, but. I just I don't have a I just feel like that roster is aging. They didn't really do anything to correct a lot of their issues that they had last year. And I'm saying that now and like DeJounte Murray is gonna be an all star this year, and I'm an idiot to ever doubt them, but or some yeah, some random guy they pluck out of Slovakia in the middle of the night, they smuggle out of there, will suddenly be, you know, the next great NBA center. But looking at I feel like that roster is older, I feel like it's aging. Love Kawhi, he's one of my favorite players, but I feel comfortable putting the Celtics above them. You said it. I feel comfortable putting them above the Raptors. But I do. I put them outside of that. 
I, I put them somewhere between the Cavs and the Rockets and the Thunder, just somehow fangling that. I guess right now I'd say that they're below the Rockets just because the Rockets looked really good last night against the Warriors, but even then the defense was nowhere to be seen, but whatever. I guess I'd put them, I don't know, four or five, you know, just because I, I want to see the Thunder too because it could not work out. I feel like it will, but there could be something with the Thunder. But, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd put the Celtics in that four or five range optimistically, and that's me being optimistic, hoping that, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum continue to play at a high level. Horford doesn't suddenly start looking old. Some of these other younger guys step up a little bit. So there's a lot of speculation involved in that, but I'll – I'll put them there for right now. I'll put the Celtics at the four or five spot right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little more pessimistic than you are a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, you just got to give the West a slight edge just because they play the better teams. They're going to be more seasoned. And I I think right now I, I would say I would put both the Rockets and the Thunder ahead of the Celtics. I mean, hey, that's fair. I'm not. I'm not saying that both those teams aren't ahead of them. I'm just saying I put them in that same. I put them in that same range. But I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Brian, it's been nice having you on. Thank you for joining us on the Stadium Experience. Hope you can come in over the summer. Brian Murphy, the Murphquake, uh, normal, regular co-host over the summer, calling in from wherever the hell he is right now. But anyway, it's been good having you, Brian. Thanks for having me, Jake. Always a pleasure. No problem. I'll see you. Take it easy. Anyway, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports 101.com. He joins us every week from American University in Washington, D.C. We will be talking about the Patriots. We'll be talk, we'll circle back at his thoughts and what's going on with the Celtics right now. And I even have a couple of Red Sox things I kind of want to go over with him. But anyway, like I said... You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we will be right back. Stadium experience, Jake Elmsley, 90.7, WXIN. For some reason, the music isn't playing. It's only getting one headphone, but that's all right. We have been talking all Celtics here. And as it's time to do every day at about 4.45, 4.55, since we're having some trouble with the phones, a little bit of technical difficulties here today, but that's fine because as it is every week, it is time to do your job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports, 101.com. How you doing, Job? Job. Job, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, how you doing, bud? I'm good. How are you? All right, now that we've gone through that freaking 15-minute-long commercial break and me playing with the phones, you been good this week? Uh, Well, it could have been a better week for uh, Boston sports, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, we were getting into that, but let's let's try to let's move a little let's move away from from the from the court for a little bit. Let's move on to the Patriots, who Sunday obviously defeated the j- defeated one. Weren't the losers against the Jets with a score of 24-17. to The team overcame a 14-0 lead in the first quarter, gave up only three points in the second half, which, you know, we'll get into what that means for the team. But And they and obviously there was a controversial f- 
fumble, not fumble, not touchdown at the back of the end zone by Austin Tavarian Jenkins, which, by the way, lost me in one of my fantasy leagues, but we can get into that for a minute. But I guess, well, no, I guess we'll get, I guess we'll get into that now since that's a story that's been beaten to death. And obviously I'm the last person to get to it, but I guess obligatorily we'll get to I mean, Joe, what do you make of that call? And we'll talk about it now, uh, then never bring it up again. I'm still confused by the call, actually. Uh, I've had it explained to me in a number of different ways. And I know that the uh, vice president of officiating for the NFL has spoken about how it was interpreted correctly, and that's exactly how it should be called. Mm-hmm. But I still don't understand how that's not a touchdown. Uh, you're going to have to really speak on it yourself because I'm not really sure how they can call that um, and the Patriots get the ball at the 20. Um, but what I do think about the game is that the, the key term is survived. I think the Patriots survived the Jets. I don't think that they really beat the Jets. I don't know if they really deserved a victory, uh, but they did survive long enough to hold on to the win. Yeah, and just to get my two cents on that call, because once again, don't want to talk about it, but feel like we need to. <laughs> I'm complaining about this, but the I suppose that after hearing it explained to me a bunch of different times from people with different perspectives, I suppose that that was the right call, that it was technically a fumble. But where I still find issue with it is that that was nowhere near. And the entire point of these reviews is that you need irrefutable evidence that the call was wrong on the field to be able to overturn it. And even if you can argue that the call was different, and after everybody's kind of picked and prodded at this a lot and pulled out technicalities after technicalities from the rule book, I really don't feel like you can say that that was irrefutable after all of that. So even then, even if it's the right rule, I feel like it's not, did not follow the procedure in the end. To I don't think they had enough to overturn the call. I, I agree, and thank goodness they did because we would have been looking at a loss on the schedule against the Jets. Uh, had they not done that, um, and thank goodness that that's the case, because then we'd be sitting here having a very different conversation. Yeah, yeah. no, or talking about which I'm not. You know, I'm also not going to be one of these people that says that the Patriots definitely lose if that touchdown goes in, because you know, I mean, they won by seven, but you know, I, I don't, I, tr- I I'm not going to say I don't like to get into hypotheticals because I love getting into hypotheticals, but you know, I won't sit here and tell you for sure, like, oh well, since the Jets get that touchdown. The Patriots don't get a touchdown. Just, the, the, the dynamic of the game has shifted. It changed the dynamic of the game. I'm not saying that didn't lose the Jets the game. I'm not saying that the Jets don't win. I'm not saying the Patriots don't. But I'm just saying that I also won't get into the narrative that the Patriots definitely won because of that call. But still, that they got lucky on that call. They absolutely got lucky on that call. And a call against a team like the Jets, a roster that everybody was saying they were tanking, before the season. No, it should not come down to that. And what was it? Was it the third quarter or the fourth quarter? I don't remember. Uh, the third quarter. Yeah, anyway. It shouldn't come down to an overturn, to a really weird overturn touchdown in the third quarter is what we're looking at as, uh, well, if that doesn't happen, you might not beat the Jets. We shouldn't have to be looking at that as, you know, the moment that shifted the whole balance of the game. So, I agree, and we should have yeah. dominated the game from the get-go, and we didn't. Um, it's the you know, opposite. We really struggled, especially in the first in the first quarter. We struggled with defense, as we have done all season. And I actually I picked up a stat from uh, Mike Felger this morning um, that we're the first team in NFL history to give up 300-plus passing yards six straight games. 
at any point in any season uh, since the NFL's inception. Yeah, That's scary. And it's worse when you look at the quarterbacks that they've given it up to. Alex Smith, Drew Brees, Drew Brees, they'll give you Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, and then, you know, the big cherry on top, Josh McCown, who, my man, Josh McCown, I love me some Josh McCown, but, yeah, you gave up 300 yards passing to Josh McCown, and for the first- He's never had a 300-yard game in his career. Is that is that true? Uh, well, that's, that comes from Mike Felger, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but, but uh, that's still, what he was saying on, still. on his radio show this morning. Anywho, yeah. Josh McCown was able to light them up, and yeah, obviously. And mind you, I, I don't know. I think there are some positives from the defense in this game. I guess I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because Gilmore didn't play. Rowe didn't play. You were dealing with, God, what was the name of the second corner? What's his name? But Badamuzi? Badam- I feel really, really tough letting them slide on that one. No, I don't let them slide Stephon on that. Gilmore but we're not playing. Doesn't I, really define our defense. You're We've right, but terrible so far. But still, Badamuzi was your second corner. Who, by the way, I think he played pretty well. He had a pretty decent time taking down some guys. Malcolm Butler was brutal in the early stretches of this game. Malcolm Butler was yeah, brutal. He was brutal. He blew a few coverages, but he yes. also, I thought he, I thought he redeemed himself. He did. Uh, no, and that's when my know, that later was my, in the game. No, and that was my next point, that the Malcolm, that credit to Malcolm Butler, that he was able to rebound from that. And that's been one of the things that you've always, that I've always, and a lot of us have always liked about him as a player, is his ability to, you know, basically just forget mistakes, forget, you know, blown coverages. He's never seemed to be a guy who lets those things stick with him and lets them bother him. And him giving up something, something very bad, like a 22-yard out route to Roddy Anderson... Robbie Anderson in the first quarter on a third down and giving up, you know, a, not a touchdown, but a really good catch to Jeremy Curley. He has always he did been, look weak in the first quarter, but he's um, always been yeah. able to overcome those kind of things from a performance perspective. Yeah, he has, and he, and he really did, especially in this game. I mean, with 40 seconds left in the half, he, uh, he caught the interception, which then led to the, the drive to uh, tie the game. Right. And I feel time. like that really changed the dynamic of this game. I, I really that, do because our defense was drowning before that interception. Um, and the offense and had not helped him. Really important. You know, before, not at all. And, you know, Gostowski you know, in the field goal doesn't help. No, um, in the there drive. There were a lot of things in this game that went wrong. No, in the drive. Malcolm but Butler, just to, I don't think, overall was one of them. No, and just to kind of harp on that point, harp on that one play, talk about the turnover. The drive before that, the Patriots are getting the ball. was like a minute and a half left. They have their timeouts. You're like, okay, like, you know. Let's go. Like, this is where they're going to start to come. Well, not come back. This is where they're going to. I think it was tied at that point. But this is where, like, you know, they're really going to start to lay it on. Like, they're going to drive down the field now. They get the ball at halftime. They're going to score again. Like, we'll get the double score. Everything will be fine. They'll go in cruise control. Like, they're going to they're gonna bring this one back. They're going to rain this one back. And they, I don't think it was a three and out. But oh, was that the fumble by Gillisley in the second quarter? I don't really remember. It, but, was, the fumble, it was the fumble by Gillisley. Yes, it was a fumble by Gillisley. So... That deflated the whole thing. You're like, oh, now the Jets are going to take it. But then Malcolm Butler being able to pick up the ball, get the turnover, give them about 40 seconds and be able to drive down the field. Did they, I don't remember if they got a touchdown. Was it a touchdown or a field goal in that one? Was that the t- second? Uh, I think I think it was a field goal. Okay, but they were able to go down the field, score, and that that did that change in momentum. That gave the Patriots a, lot, a, a decent amount of momentum. They were able to come out of the locker room in the second half, play well. So that... 
was a good play. And like I said, Malcobello was rough at the beginning, but all in all, I take this as a positive game for him. I found it odd that Josh McCown was targeting him so much. So too, and I mean, I guess given that Batamusi, you know, or... the lack of the lack of weapons that that the Jets have um, at that position, maybe that was just a a matchup that they thought they could benefit from. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that anybody thinks they can benefit from a matchup with Malcolm Butler when they have when we have our number three corner on the field, number f- um, whose name we can't even pronounce because yeah, he we never don't plays because he's a special teamer from the Lions. Exactly, and I find it hard to believe that that wasn't the receiver that they were targeting is the one that was not covered by Malcolm Butler, but maybe they, maybe, you know, that was a comfortability thing with, um, with McCallum, maybe, you know, fitting into the system. Maybe he just feels comfortable with Jenkins or Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, they decided as a team that that was their best option and he did have a good game. Um, so maybe they made the right call there, but, I don't know. I found I found it kind of surprising, and I actually had Malcolm Butler on my my, you know, my three positives from this game. One of them was my take. One of my takeaways was a positive. Yeah. From Malcolm Butler, and a good comeback after a rough first quarter. Yeah, which you know, mind you, I say that as I don't want to say I don't want to get too too excited, laid on too much, but I I kind of put this game as a positive overall for the defense. I'm not. This was not you know the get right game that we've been looking for. This was not you know this great performance but still lost in things was a pretty deep after you know the first couple of drives it looked awful the first drive for the jets they converted what every single every third, single uh, third down. down they were four for four on third downs they could not be stopped you're like oh my god what's gonna happen here they're gonna just kill them but then Lost on it is that, you know, in the second half still, the Jets, the Patriots only gave up three points. Maybe it should have been more, you know, based on the the Austin Severian Jenkins call. But still, on the score sheet, the Patriots only gave up three points in the second half to an offense that they were having a little bit of trouble with at first. An offense that they should not be having trouble with. But still, you know, second half, they were able to stop the opponent in front of them. So, credit-ish to them. They get a bronze medal for that, but I will say I that I find it hard to give them a bronze medal. Um, this is where we we differ here. The Jets opened with an 88-yard drive, and they had a third and ten, a third and eight, mm-hmm. a third and six. Oh and no, I was about to say the first drive, drive was and... miserable. The first half of this game was not good for the defense. I'm just saying that if I'm gonna if I'm going to go at them for that, I'm going to credit them for the second half where they didn't really give up much of anything. Is all I'm gonna say. Fair enough. What 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 do you what do you credit that to? The Jets playing like the Jets. Honestly, them not letting Josh McCown look like Peyton Manning out there. Honestly, really, like I don't really feel like the defense was playing like extremely well. But you know they were able to make you know old ass Matt Forte look like old ass Matt Forte. And on that note, the run defense was also very good this game. They were only able to get twenty something yards out of Elijah, whatever his name is. Only get 20-something yards out of Matt Forte on the ground. Who, mind you, neither of them are really great runners. And they were missing Bilal Powell. But still, they were able to stop the run pretty well, save for a couple of couple of little scampers by Joshy Jett. But I, I'll give them credit for that. And, yeah, no, I mean, I don't really think that they played particularly better. But they were just – I, I the, 
They were doing what they should have been doing from the beginning, is what I'm saying. And I'm willing to at least give them something of credit for that. For, for fixing it. Whatever they did. I'm not sure. Do you have anything specifically that you credit to it? Do you credit? Um, I, I credit I credit the, uh, the, the front seven on the defensive line um, really got to Josh McCown in the, second, in the second half of the game a lot better than they did in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first half, he really was able to sit in the pocket all day and find receivers, especially on that first drive. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, they kind of got to him a little bit. I mean, he had some scramble yards. Um, they didn't really contain him as well as they could have. There were some third-down conversions that he managed to get with his legs that they shouldn't have had. Um, but all in all, they made him a little bit more uncomfortable, and they made him look a lot more like the you know, vagabond um quarterback mm-hmm. that it is rather than you know like you said a Peyton Manning someone who can just sit there and just take out receivers in <laughs> coverage and make the Patriots look really bad yeah so like I said a li- little bit of credit to the defense I'll, I'll give it to them I'll throw them some credit I'm not enraged at the performance this week I'm not I'm not mad I'm not vis- which maybe that's just my standards going down but yeah that's my standards going down for this defense honestly but I think I think that's what it is. I think we're used to seeing now, after six games, a really bad Patriots defense. And I think that yeah. and you an- know, we've started to set the bar at not terrible. Low, which hopefully they can maintain. Like, if they can give up 17 points, I don't know. What does 17 points against the Jets equate to for a good team? Like, I don't want to say the- 35. <laughs> okay, that's fair. If you want to say that, then yeah, then this is terrible. I'm not sure it's that. Maybe this Jets team is just better than we thought, than we thought going into the season. We talked about this last week, about how in retrospect, a lot of the guys who they got rid of, a lot of guys who we thought when they were getting rid of, that they were tanking, they were getting rid of the good players. None of the guys they've gotten rid of have really done anything, especially on offense, actually. Brandon Marshall, nothing. Eric Decker actually had a pretty decent game last night, on Monday night, but before that, Hadn't done much of anything. Nick Mangold isn't on a team. And then not even talking about the defense players, talking about the offense. So conceivably, you know, those guys that got rid of, maybe they were the right move. So maybe this team wasn't so much outright tanking as we thought. Maybe this was more a matter of a culture change for them. Get rid of some vets who were kind of complaining, you know. Maybe this is more a matter of just getting rid of players that weren't productive, but were making a lot of money to open the door for some of these younger players. I don't know. Probably not. Probably giving them too much credit. They still lost Quincy Anumwa, who, you know, was supposed to be their best receiver. So maybe I'm looking into this too much, but still. And I don't want to suddenly just get up and be like, oh, the Jets actually have a good offense. So I'm going to give the Patriots credit, which is kind of what it sounds like I'm doing. I don't want that to be the case. But just saying maybe this isn't the worst team ever, like a lot of us were saying. And I fully believe they were going to be going into the season. But I'm going into the season, they were predicted at 0-16. And I don't think... I don't think they're performing like a team that's going to win the Super Bowl, but by a long shot, they're not, you know, performing like an 0 16 team. Um, they're much better than people are giving them credit for. That doesn't mean that we in any way played well on Sunday. Okay, fun, fun. Okay, question on the Jets: Do we see them go above 500 for the rest of the year? Oh, that's tough. I'm gonna. I'm actually. I'm gonna pull up their schedule here. Not, not even the schedule. Just, we'll gut, just gut instinct on the team. Not even worrying about no. who they're playing next week. No. No. Okay. Cool. Okay, then then maybe we need to back off this a little bit then. Maybe we need well, to, I, maybe we kind of need to being, back off cozying up the team. If we're both pretty 
pretty knee-jerk. It's like, oh, well, no. Like, maybe this is a good team. Maybe the Patriots just, you know, they led the boys to a good offense. Are they going to go 500? Oh, no way. Okay, so maybe we need to back. Maybe we need to back off a little bit on the on the Jets. But well, let's let's, let's look at it. I mean, the three teams that they beat were not good teams. Uh, <laughs> the Jaguars look look somewhat good, but the Browns are you know they're the Terrible. Cleveland Browns. Dolphins and, are uh, awful. Even though the Dolphins beat the Falcons, you know, the Dolphins are the Dolphins are terrible, and their games up and coming. Their games for the rest of the season are the Dolphins, which I think they win, the Falcons, the Bills, the Buccaneers, Panthers, Chiefs, Broncos, Saints, Chargers, and Patriots. Any of those teams that really stick out to me as a wow, the Jets are going to win this game, would only be the Dolphins and and maybe the Chargers. Other than that, I look at them having a really tough schedule. Yeah, that's a good point too. But anyway. Another thing that stood out in this game that I just want to mention was, didn't it just suck seeing Coney Ely be good? Like, Coney Ely did not it have... really did. I just checked Coney Ely. He did not have any sacks, any tackles, but really felt like he was pre- in there on the pressure a lot of the time, even if he wasn't getting the numbers. And, yeah, that hurt to see a lot because you wanted him to be that guy here and hurts even more because you start to look at it. And I understand that he was bad in training camp. He didn't look like he picked up the system, but he didn't look like he was picking up the system fast enough. But don't you just, looking back now, don't you wish that they maybe just went, okay, he's not picking it up now, but let's let's hold on to him. Maybe for now we'll just use him as, you know, a third and long pass rushing specialist, which, yeah, I get it that they don't usually have too many guys like that. But I'd, at this point, I'd rather have Coney, I would have rather had Coney Ely here than... David Harris, who has done nothing. Here's how I look at it. Um, and this is, this might sound a little bit uh, negative, but right now I don't think they really miss him. I think that they will. Uh, the second that we see Dante Hightower go down mm-hmm. later in the season with mm-hmm. some sort of ailment or injury, uh, because so far since he's come back, he's come up in every big situation and made a good tackle. Fair, um, fair. But, Later in the season, I don't know if he'll be able to, you know, do that and sustain that. Um, and then that's when we're really going to miss him. Is he's really the only pass rushing threat that this team has shown me so far this season, and he's only played in a few games. So, I mean, I wouldn't go that I far. I mean, Trey right Flowers now, has also had a good year so far. I would. I mean, I wouldn't go that far as to say that he's the only pass rusher. I mean, Trey Flowers has, I think, still been having a good year. He didn't have an outstanding game Sunday, but I still like that. But yeah, I get your point, though. I mean, we've talked about this to death about the lack of pass rushers on this team, and yeah, seeing Coney Ely, you know, playing his ass off a lot of the time there in New York when you kept, you know, David Harris, who wasn't doing anything. It, that hurts a little bit. Like when Navarro Bowman, when he was a free agent earlier this week, I was like, you know what? The Patriots might as well sign him, get rid of David Harris, and hey, if Navarro Bowman just sucks now and can't do anything, well, you know what, Job? You didn't, you didn't lose anything. <laughs> you're just back no, to. I agree. You're just it, back it, to it's having this sad big. Sad to me. It's sad to me that we're looking at that as an option in week six. We're going into week seven. And that has to be an option. Uh, clearly, we're doing something wrong. Well, um, I mean, I wouldn't go that. From a talent evaluation perspective. I mean, not necessarily. From a system perspective. I mean, I, mean I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Just looking at Navarro Bowman, I think it would have been a good move for the team. He's a decent player. He's lost a lot of his speed. He can't cover people, but he's still a smart player. I would have liked to have seen them been in on him, but the Raiders just sw- swooped in and scooped that up. So, 
I still think we're probably going to end up seeing a move for this team for some guy that you've never heard of at some point. I really wouldn't be surprised if it happens in the next in the next two weeks, especially if we have a bad game against the Falcons on Sunday night. Mm, and uh, that's something that which is is something that it, yes, it will happen. And that's um, something I'm I walk into. Hang on, me. hang on. We'll get into that in a little bit. We'll, we'll I wouldn't be surprised if between that week and the Chargers and the Chargers the week after that we we make a move somewhere defensively. I would hope. I would hope. I don't know who the guys out there right now would be, but. No, you're right. I would hope. Like I said, I haven't, you know, thought it through really because I don't know. I don't know where. I guess that's kind of a thought, too. What exactly do you bring into this defense? Because the secondary has been bad, but conceivably the personnel are good. Conceivably, you have good players back there. Stefan Gilmore should be better than he is, and you have a lot of money tied up to him. Eric Rowe is another guy who's been here a while, so I couldn't really see the team moving for anybody in the secondary because, like I said, they have a lot of money tied up in their safeties, too. Then is it, would it be a move for a front seven player, most likely? I think there's two moves that this team uh, would look to make, and one is, is a defensive front seven player, and another would be an offensive lineman. Uh, specifically a tackle if there's one out there and available. I don't know if it's available. I I haven't looked at it. I would doubt that just because this league has such a dearth of good tackles. I mean, there's not going to be a tackle out there that you're going to be able to go get cheap that's going to be better than what you're getting, which is sad, but this league just has such a tackle problem. Uh, I agree, and I actually don't think the talent is there. Um, No, it's not. I think that's what they would look for. Half the teams in the league don't have a tackle. You know, you're, I mean, you're not going to be able to go out and find somebody for that. And they seemingly value the continuity on the O-line. Now, would I like them to get somebody better than Lee Adrian Waddle to be the sixth, seventh guy? Yeah. But once again, that guy is probably not out there. You know, teams aren't just giving up O-line. Teams don't just have, you know, tackles just laying around. You know, and that's... No, I, I agree. And that's why, you know, you see Matt Cowley get, you know, 50-something million in the offseason. But... Moving from that, a point that I've been kind of bringing up the last couple of weeks in fairness to the Patriots and something that I think is even truer today is that in defense of the Patriots, who have looked flawed, who obviously have problems, who have very bad problems, problems that they need to find ways to fix, there still hasn't emerged and looks even more than than I said last week. There really still isn't that, you know, that it team right now. You know, every year there seem to be, you know, a couple of signature teams, I guess. That's a dumb way to put it, but. A couple teams who seem to run away from the rest of the league. Yeah, there really uh, isn't that right now. And the league has been very even this year, seemingly. It feels like, and I read this as a quote. This is my, I read this as a quote on some NFL.com article. It does kind of feel like every team in the league could go eight and eight. Or most, of I, I agree, and I, I think that there's a couple a couple changes that the Patriots can make to really set themselves as that team. Um, yeah, not even talking about know, the one t- of which would be yeah, would not be even to get another defense um, to really stop the run and set the edge against against other teams. Yeah, not but, even talking about you know just not even talking about additions, just talking generally across the league because I'm kind of want to move on from that just because you know we don't have any names or anything, but you don't. I mean, last week we had two undefeated teams, and then this week the Chiefs lost, and you start to wonder, and I was kind of starting to think about this last week, you know, the Chiefs kind of do this every year where they look really good for like the first six, seven, eight games, 
And then by playoff time, they're dead. And they do kind of seemingly do this every year. Not to take away from them, but yeah, they, they do this every year where they look really good. That's true. Let me, and, let me ask you a question, though, Jake, before we, move, before, we, before we move into a deeper analysis of the league. Yep. If we were to start the, the playoffs right now, would you, would you go into an AFC championship game happy with this team that they could beat any of those teams? Because I look at it and I go, Andy Reid, last year, I would be laughing if you told me that Andy Reid would come into Foxborough mm-hmm. and tear it apart. But if you told me today that the Chiefs and Patriots would be playing in the AFC championship game next week, I'd be worried. I'd be very, very worried. But that's seven um, weeks into the season. That's standpoint. the thing. It's just this team always seems to kind of fall off by the end of the year. So just that's a concern with that team. Just kind of an, otherwise it looked very good except for, you know, Sunday where they looked pretty dead in the water against the Steelers who have not, who do not have a very good defense. So just that's a concern with them is that they do, though, they do this every year. Like it's a very consistent thing with them. It's like clock. Uh, They do, but I don't know. I don't know to what extent Sunday is the outlier or Sunday is what this team is built to be. Um, I think it's kind of hard to tell because really what it is is the, the Steelers really have the number of the Kansas City Chiefs if you look at the history of that's it fair. That's over a the fair last point. five yep. years. But I'm just... so, and they really have a kind of defense that's kind of built to stop a, a Kareem Hunt kind of, kind of rusher. Even if they're not elite on defense, they have a good system in place that seems to always seem to stop Kansas City. So maybe that's an outlier and they come back next week and they put up 45 points. I don't really know. I'd like to find out because I would really like to see what you're talking about here. And yeah, I would like to. City. No, you're right. I would like to see the Chiefs start to regress, obviously, but it's just they look vulnerable. It was one of the few games where they've looked really vulnerable. Then the other undefeated team, who I, I'll wait, I'll wait for them. I'll get to them last so that we can move in the next segment. Then Steelers still. We talked about this last week, but yeah, I, do you feel good about Ben Roethlisberger now? Like after what he did, did against Jacksonville. Compared to Sunday, I mean, I don't feel, like, great about Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not sitting here like, oh, like, there you go, Ben. Like, you're back. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, contrary to what he was saying after some stuff about being a cowboy or whatever, but I don't feel like he's back. I don't suddenly feel good about Big Ben all of a sudden. And then, I mean, then Seahawks, they've had their struggles. Broncos lost to an 0-5 team last week, Sunday. They lost to the Giants. Their vulnerabilities were shown. They looked really, really bad in that game. I mean, they let Evan Ingram absolutely dominate their defense. Exactly. Um, on a team that throughout. has no receivers that you can name, except for Sterling Shepard. Absolutely Shepherd. none, because their their number one receiver is out. Their quarterback throws errantly and usually throws picks on a regular basis or a semi-consistent basis. And they really don't have a good offense or defense. Uh, you would think that a team like Denver would really come in and shut them down, and yeah. may- maybe they just they just you know went into that game thinking they're going to win and didn't put all their effort in. That's possible. Yeah, but it's, you know uh, it, I wouldn't rule it out. Right, but, but that was a game where that team thought. that was a game where that team looked vulnerable, and that's another game like that. Then obviously you know the the big thing that really gets me thinking on this is what happened with Aaron Rodgers. If he's out for the rest of the year, the Packers are done. That's a team that I was like. I'm a little afraid of that was a team. I'm like, yeah, this is a really good, you know, this is a team. Well, not a really good team. I hate their roster, but Aaron Rodgers, with him being out, that team's nothing. They're a non three. You know, you lose, you lose, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league this season or top three in the league this season. Um, and their offense is built around Jordy Nelson, 
and, uh, you know, two other big star receivers. They don't really have a running attack to speak of. No, and now, and now it's Brett Hundley. Backup quarterback. And I, he's been in the system for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if he can, you know, drag them to, yeah, to a he, playoff. If he can be decent. The that they have. But, yeah, he's not, they're not a factor with Brett Hundley. Mind you, Aaron Rodgers could come back, which he's done from a broken collarbone before. We saw Tony Romo do it a couple years ago. Mind you, he re-injured it almost immediately. But... It, it can happen, but it's not looking like a great thing. They seem to be. So the Packers are conceivably out of it. The Vikings are another good team, but, you know, they're in quarterback flux. Who's going to be their quarterback? Sam Bradford, knee won't stop hurting. What, is Teddy Bridgewater going to come back all of a sudden? They're not going to roll into the playoffs with Case Keenum. Not doing anything at that point. Like, it's just. And then finally, the only undefeated team, the other, the, the only other undefeated team that was left, the Falcons blew a lead. And they almost blew a lead a couple weeks ago against the Chargers. They seem to just blow leads. I mean, did you see how they lost that game on Sunday against the Dolphins? I did, and, you know, it really made me feel a lot better about what's coming up next Sunday because the Dolphins are a terrible team. Yeah, and I just um, feel like it's still in their head that they can't not blow leads, honestly, which is why I'm almost tempted to say that the Patriots are just going to blow them out. Not because I feel I like the Patriots. Pa- I think they get lazy. I think that's what the, their problem is is they don't, they get a lead, and they don't, they don't seem to focus as much intensively on defense. And they just don't know how to do when it. When they have a lead. They don't seem to know how to do it on offense. They don't seem to know how to turn it off on offense. You know, I agree. I still think that this weekend is going to be a shootout. I, know, I don't know what our predictions were last week. I didn't write them down. Yeah, you were. To see. We can talk about our predictions for the last game in a minute. But, no, it just seems like the Falcons don't know how to turn it off. Like, they don't know how to just go, okay, like, we've been, you know, this high-flying, air-raid, dome team. Now we have a lead. We can slow. They don't seem to know how to just slow it down, run the ball a little bit, kill the clock, and then, you know, and then even the game ended because in the red zone, Matt Ryan's throwing a pick when they could just kick a field goal and tie it, you know? So, yeah, they, that team doesn't know how to handle a lead. And this is one little, before we actually start analyzing the game, I'm almost tempted to say that it barely matters, you know, how the two teams match up, just because I feel like the Patriots, is it, I have this one feeling in the back of my head that just thinks that, oh, well, the Falcons are just scarred mentally for life, and the second they come into Foxborough, they're just going to, you know, they're going to crap themselves, and they're just going to get blown out because they're just psychologically damaged. I think that's an interesting, an interesting take. I don't have as much confidence in this Patriots team as I think you do. Oh, I'm not um, saying I don't. It, it doesn't to... have anything to do with confidence in this Patriots team. It just almost feels like, <laughs> like they'll just see those Patriots jerseys and just start to panic. Like they'll just something will just click in like Matt Ryan's head, and they just they won't be able to do anything. Which I just, I don't know. I can't rule out entirely because they keep blowing leads. You know, like if they get up by like 10 points and then the Patriots start to come back, they'll just implode mentally. I really think that, you know, I would love to see that. That'd be something that would really make my day on Sunday, but I wouldn't count on it. I think that the offense for the, for the Falcons is talented enough to really keep them in the game, whether their defense gives up points to Tom Brady or not. Um, especially, you know, an injured Tom Brady uh, could yeah. In some way be slow. Um I'm I'm curious to see what's gonna happen on Sunday. I I look at the matchup and I think 
we don't really have the talent on defense to stop. And Gilmore and Rowe still are not practicing, I believe. They did, I believe neither of them practiced today, so they could. And I know, what, did you think, what did you think of the Gilmore diagnosis on the concussion? Because I'm, I'm curious to see whether he plays this week. I don't know. I mean, like I said, he didn't play Wednesday. I haven't seen anything about the diagnosis, but it came out of nowhere, obviously. I mean, it seemed like it happened in, like, Friday's practice or something, but I don't know the diagnosis. You know, a week out from a concussion, especially since it seemingly happened, you know, in the days before the game, he'd be eight, nine days out, I think, I believe is the case, at most ten. That's stretching it, you know, coming off a concussion. Unless it wasn't a big concussion and they just want – you know, unless maybe it was a small concussion, nothing big. I mean, obviously there are no good concussions, but maybe it was. Unless maybe it was like a minor concussion, and they went, "Hey, we'd rather get you healed up for the Falcons. We're gonna sit you just so you, we we know that you're ready for that game because we care more about that game. We feel like we can fake it in this game against the Jets. So maybe that's the case, but I don't know. I mean, they. I won't say they're screwed without Roe and Gilmore, but oh, I I don't feel great about it either if you're i agree and i'm 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 worried about this game but i i would like to see another great game from rob gronkowski like we saw this week um there are some some tools on the offense i'd like to see a little bit more um coming up mm-hmm. I, I believe rex burkhead be will be back i think right he believe... will be back and i i would be surprised if he's not used i know that Dion lewis had a, an okay game he's a, he's um, had a couple of good games in a row he yeah. rushed for 50, 52 yards, I believe, on 11 carries, um, something like that. I think he had a good – I believe I also get a good game against the Buccaneers. I think Deion Lewis has been, you know, their more dependable running back right now. I would still like to see them involve Mike Gillisley more, just like a broken record. I just want them to have the running game right now. I know he fumbled the ball. I know Belichick tends not to trust players that fumble the ball, obviously, but – that was Gillisley's second. I'm not saying it was a wrong move to sit him down for a while, but you know, Gillisley, that was his second career fumble, which is a crazy stat. I agree. And, and also, he doesn't fumble the ball. Yeah, and also it wasn't like, you know, he dropped the ball. I mean, Darren Lee came from behind him and punched that thing out. You know, I'm not gonna say so it's completely not on Gillisley because you can always hold the ball harder, you can always do better, but it's not like it was some kind of mental lapse by Gillisley. So I don't. I, I agree. It I was don't, a good play by Darren Lee to yeah. knock it loose, but I feel confident I with Gillisley carrying the ball still. I, I do too. I I just think that maybe Belichick doesn't, or maybe he thinks that you know that Gillisley's been ineffective this season, like most of us do, and maybe he thinks that it's him and not the scheme that's making his running game ineffective. Because Dion Lewis, you know, 50, 11 for fifty-two is, is a good. No, that's good. good. To have and that's and I hope that there's more, more of, a, of that. He's more of a nifty. He's more of a nifty, elusive guy. He's um, looking like he's getting is. faster. That's been big too. But he, he looks. He looks like his knee is healthy again. Um, and you know, with him and James White in in the backfield, I think Belichick is pretty confident, especially with James White's ability to catch the football. Um, that that's the tandem going forward. I wouldn't expect to see a lot of Gillisley, especially not against the Falcons. I'd expect a lot of Deion Lewis and James White combinations simply because I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And they seem to be the guys who are either getting going um, in the case of Deion Lewis or who are really good in the passing game in the case of James White. I think it's going to be a pass-heavy game on Sunday. I mean, I would like to see the Patriots run the ball a lot. I would like to see them just 
make short in this game. Just, I, I we we talked about it last week too, and we that, talked about you know, it before the Buccaneers. And we we've been we, we, talking about it. And we're beating a dead horse at this point because Belichick doesn't seem to agree with us. Um, and I think we both agree that Belichick knows more than we do. I mean, maybe it's not a matter ball. of agree, not agreeing with us. I'm sure that Belichick would love to be able to run the ball. It might be. A, he just can't. Maybe he doesn't be, have the personnel, or maybe exactly. the team just doesn't seem to be working. Um, but I had a couple positives that I took away from this game this weekend, and, and I have a couple things that I expect to see next week. Um, one of which is I, I expect to see another big game from Rob Gronkowski. Uh huh. Um, he had you know 83 yards, two touchdowns, which isn't a fantastic game. It's by another Gronk's good game. He caught everything that went his way, though. No, Gronk but had a good game. Everything that went his way was either he was either you know he got a flag uh, on the play from the defense, or he caught the ball. And I'm I'm curious to see whether that continues. Uh, Brandon Cooks was a good weapon this week. I think he'll be utilized a lot. I think mm-hmm. he'll be our Julio Jones this week, our go-to guy, um, because I think the deep ball and, and, and the the long throws are going to be something that we rely on a little bit this week. Unfortunately, I think we're going to need to, because I think we're going to need to put up 35-plus points if we want a chance of beating the Falcons. Um, on another note, you know, Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick need to get on the same page this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if Matt Ryan runs for, you know, or scrambles for two or three first downs in this game, that could be all it takes. You know, this offense of the Falcons is really good, and slowing them down is by no means easy. I'd be shocked if um, if this game isn't high scoring, and if Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick aren't on the same page with game calling like they were this week, where it seemed uh-huh. like sometimes, you know, we were exposed. Malcolm Butler got exposed for 31 yards against Jeremy Curley. Alan Branch got uh, was not really a factor. He needs to be a factor. There are some things that I really think the play calling impacts the game in a negative way. Uh, what do you What do you think about that? What's your What's your take on on the play calling and what we're going to see this week? I mean, hopefully, I just want. I just you're right. I just want to see them be able to get off the field a little bit, at least get a few stops. And I would just like to see a couple of long drives in this game. But anyway, Job. Well, first, what were our predictions last week? I remember what mine was. Do you not remember what your prediction for last week was? Uh, I had it as uh, the I believe it was Patriots 35, I believe. I think you had, like, yeah, I think it was something in the neighborhood of 35 to 14. I was, cl- I was close. I, I, th- I think I had the closest prediction of the year from either of us. I had 33 to 17 and 24 to 17. <coughs> I was almost there. So maybe this week. I'm going to... For this week, I think I'm going to go 42-28, Patriots. Uh, I'm going to go 35-24, Patriots. I think we win this game. I think it's a high-scoring one, but I don't know about 42 points. We'll see. I I would just like I would like to see that. I would just like to see the Patriots. I would love to see that. I would like to see the I would like to see the Falcons just crap their pants and look like they don't know what they're doing. But anyway, with that, we'll move on to the really what we were talking about at the top of the show. The, I mean, I covered a lot of what I think about this team going forward, so I'll just give you the chance to say what you think here, Joe. What do you make of last night's game? What do you make of Gordon Hayward's injury? What do you think? What do you think that means for this team going forward? Uh, well, a couple of things, and you know, one was I thought we played well in this game. 
I thought Jalen Brown had a fantastic night. Um, and I liked what I saw from Jason Tatum. You know, he's the first player since Larry Bird to have a double-double in his NBA debut with the Celtics. Um, he looked really good, especially on defense, the defensive side of the ball. And we didn't give up after the injury. You know, we, we battled back. We were down 18 in the third quarter, um, and we didn't give up in that game. I, li- I really like to see that, especially this early in the year when, you know, teams tend to be like, oh, it's one of 82, we can pack it in. Um, we really, you know, contended. I thought that was good to see from this team, especially after the injury. Uh, what I think going forward is the Hayward injury, it looks like he'll be out four to six months, a clean tibia fracture. Um, I yeah. don't know if he'll be the same player uh, come, you know, May and June as he as he would be, you know, yesterday. Well, from everything that uh, I've... Well, I highly doubt it. He'll attack the rim in the same way. Well, for, from everything um, I've been seeing... Everything I've read, I've looked at that the best, best case scenario is that he comes back late March, right before the playoffs, but that more likely than not, we've probably seen the last of him for this year, but that even if he was able to come back, I'm going to think it's the best case scenario, best case recovery, he still wouldn't be... But he wouldn't be the same player. He wouldn't be 100%. I, I so agree. Conceivably, I agree. we've seen... I, We've seen the last. I think of we video. lose. I think we lose a little bit of of building. Um, if conceivably, I think we've seen probably the last of him. I think maybe we might see him if we make it to the Eastern Conference Finals because the way that the NBA designs the playoffs, they drag out and out and out. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in the Eastern Conference Finals for maybe a game or two, but he wouldn't be the same factor by any means uh, that he would have been had he did, you know had he not had this injury. I think it's interesting to see. Um, you know, how the, the rookies really step up and play. Mm-hmm. I thought they had a good, you know, between Jalen Brown, who's now a sophomore, and uh, and the rookie and Jason Tatum, I thought we had a good game. I thought Kyrie really, uh, you know, stepped up and played pretty well. He didn't have the greatest game of his life. But, you know, and our defense wasn't fantastic on LeBron James. But going forward, I think this team wins. I had them winning 55 games uh, and finishing as the number two seed in the conference. Now I have them winning about 48 to 50 games. I think they lose a lot in Gordon Hayward, uh, his ability to really take over a game. But I still think we drag it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think we might be one piece short um, if he doesn't come back. That's my, that's my take on the Celtics season. That's my take on the season, and unfortunately, I think we're going we're gonna to have to see one more year before we have the Celtics in the Finals. Yeah, listen, I was talking about it in my last segment with uh, with the Murphquake, Brian Murphy. <laughs> we were discussing it, and yeah, I have a hard time. I think this injury, it moves the Celtics back to the pack with the Wizards and the Raptors. I think they're still ahead of it. I think they're still a clear-cut number two in the East, assuming that, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum can keep up a decent level of play. Kyrie can continue to implement himself. Al Horford can play the way he played last night, which I really liked. I think that they're still the number two, but yeah, this it this really puts a deflation on their season. Now, on a positive spin of it, something I forgot to brought up or forgot to bring up earlier is as a positive. I guess this opens up not minutes because they were starting both of them, but I suppose it opens up more offensive opportunities for Jalen Brown and for Jason Tatum, which once again I was ecstatic when I saw the starting lineup. But yeah, without Hayward in there, they'll both 
get more shot attempts, both be able to play more. You saw Jalen Brown have a very good offensive performance last night, which I'm not going to sit here and try to act like he'll do every single night or that that's a new norm for him. Because I can't say that after, you know, one game. But if we want to be positive, I never was under the impression that the team was going to win the finals this year. So I suppose that opening up more time for the rookies, for, well, for the rookie, for... Jalen Brown, I suppose that that, if we want to try to spin a positive on this, I suppose that that can be one. I, I agree, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we really see an emergence of Jalen Brown. I'd be really surprised if we don't actually see him put up at least, I'd say, 13, 14 points a game this season. I think he's a real offensive threat. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, well, um, I don't want to start assigning averages to people. So soon, because I just think that there's so many different levels he could play at this year. But sure, yeah. Um, but what I'm what I'm reading here from um, from a medical expert who ex- apparently examined him, um, Jeff Stotis, all right, uh, who had an interview about two hours ago with uh, CBS, is that the the best case scenario would be uh, about 16 weeks. Okay, so that would be uh, which would which would bring him back in about. It says 12 to 16 weeks would be the best-case scenario, um, which would bring him back just in time for the playoffs. But he said there's no way that he'll be the same player mm-hmm. in terms of hard cuts and things like that, which is you know, what we already knew. I think the Celtics are going to have a good season, but I think a lot of the hype just died. Yeah, this, um, no, this is deflating. Into the first quarter. If anything, yeah. No, this I, I hate this just because it kills it because I was really excited for this team. And I'm still excited it really, for this it, team. It kills, it, yeah, but it kills the hype a lot more because we thought we were going to have a three-headed monster and it was destined that we were going to the NBA Finals. Well, I mean, I was never, I was never run. quite that far, but no, I mean, still, I was excited this season. And I'm still excited to see the young players and all that, but no, this, this sucks. This, this does suck but it i really hit, does but i hit on this a lot in the first segment so i want to hit on it too much i want to hit some red Sox stuff real quick before we let you go job let's do it apparently according to a lot of outlets cbs sports uh, mob.com conceivably alex cora the bench coach for the houston astros right now is the top candidate to replace john farrell as a coach of the reds as a coach as a manager of the red Sox, which I absolutely welcome, especially with the news coming out that they apparently that they interviewed Dombrowski's old chum, Brad Auschwitz. Brad Auschwitz? Is that how you pronounce it? Auschwitz? Brad Auschwitz? Auschwitz, yeah. That they interviewed him, and I was not on board with that. It would be the lazy thing to do. It was the easy thing for them to do, and I was not on board with them bringing him on. But I was especially not on board with them bringing him on after a report came out. That apparently David Price thinks that Auschwitz is the best manager he's ever played with. Is David Price's favorite manager that he's ever had. So that that alone, I don't care who he is. He could be Joe Madden. I don't want him after that. If David Price is coming in saying, oh, this is my guy. I want this guy. I don't want him anywhere near the team. But for them to, well, I have, I have, I have two two takes on this on the Brad Austin situation. One is we discussed it last week. I don't want Brad Austin. No, just because uh, I'm an Alex Cora guy. No, also because but Brad Austin, not if he, yeah. if he, if he's a, a David Price guy, I don't want him anywhere near the young players on this team. I think we don't need want- somebody who knows the culture of Boston. Um, I would really hope that 
Dombrowski doesn't make the move to Osmus, um, who underachieved for four years in Detroit. Yeah, also because he, he had, you sucks. Know, he had, like, that's also... Yeah, that's he also. had one... It's not like he's going to just come in and destroy the clubhouse. The clubhouse is pretty pretty badly managed right now, with Joe, or was pretty badly managed with John Farrell. Yeah, not being John and Farrell I, is a plus for anybody who comes exactly, and have this job. Exactly. Anybody who's not John Farrell is going to be a plus for the clubhouse side. But Brad Dawson is not a good clubhouse guy. Is he's a David Price guy, as far as I'm concerned. But he's also not a good in-game manager. The yeah, talent no. that he had in Detroit mm-hmm. only got into the playoffs one time. Mm-hmm. And they got worse uh, every year. No, yeah. Exactly. I, no, I, no improvement. They were taking steps they were back. No, he's a, he's a bad manager. He's not a good manager. You're also right. And that's not to say that Alex Cora will be, seeing as how he's never had, you know, a managerial job. But I'd rather go with that than, you know, Dombrowski's old retread buddy of his who we know sucks and we apparently know is buddies with David Price. Yeah, I don't need a guy coming in here and – Devers asking him a question, him going, "Oh, go go ask Price, go go." I we don't I don't need Price to be like an honorary captain or something like that. I and I would be very glad if Alex Cora. Now, one th- I would be very glad if they got Alex Cora just because just from the idea that that would be a get for this team. He's probably he's one of the hot managerial candidates. So just to feel like I don't know they were able to get a good guy, which maybe isn't the right logic, but just feel like they were able to get a hot candidate would be nice. But Something that kind of concerns me about the Brad Oxwood situation, which just I kind of pulled up, I believe, from CBS Sports, is that he actually blew off a meeting with the Mets. They reached out to him. They tried to get him to interview, and he was not interested in interviewing with the Mets, which... I mean, would you be interested in interviewing with, with the Mets, especially mm, with the, the mess that that franchise has become in the last two years? No, but Cora interviewed with the Mets a lot. The other top guys have. So I, I if you're an out-of-work manager, you might want to. So I, I don't know. It just it scares me a little bit that he wouldn't do that. And it just I don't know. Maybe the conspiracy theorist, theorist in me is a little afraid that maybe in the back door, Dombrowski's just telling him like, "Hey, don't worry." Yeah, I really hope there's not a wink. No, don't don't Dombrowski worry. You don't need to go there. Don't bother with it. You're set. Which would just oh my god, I would hate that. I would hate that just because it was so fast, but. That was something I saw, and maybe it's not him wanting to go to a mess of a clubhouse, but I, I don't know. You know, managing the Mets is better than not having a job. You know, if you're an out of work manager, but I don't know. But I agree, and I would I think the same thing. But you know, hopefully we don't bring Brad Ausmus in. I I I look at this, and I think this is a failure by Dave Dombrowski. The fact that we've been having this managerial search, um, you and I both agreed that you know John Farrell should have been gone last year. Um, and I think that, you know, one thing that we really have to think about is the fact that Tori Lavolo took the Diamondbacks to the playoffs yeah, this we year can keep... in a division, in a division mm-hmm. you know, that has the L.A. Dodgers, who are far and away the best team, I think, uh, yeah, you know, right now, yeah. in baseball. And, um, that's... and he managed to manage that team, who, by the way, had more talent than we did, I think, you know, in Paul Goldschmidt, especially with that power behind mm-hmm. Paul Goldschmidt. But, you know, Tori Lavolo sitting on the bench for us, uh, you know, he should have been the manager this year. And I think the fact that we're going to have to have this discussion. Um, well, that's not, that's not all on Dombrowski, though. I don't put the fact that Tori Lavolo wasn't here on Dombrowski. 
I don't, you know, because for that to have happened, Dabrowski would have had to come in here year one and get rid of Farrell, which I can understand not wanting to do. And also, I don't really have the same fascination with Tori Lavolo as a lot of people do. Maybe it's just because in the end, they still were bouncing the wild card round. But anyway, I want to move away from that for a minute and just... Last thing I want to talk about is what's going on in the ALCS right now. Obviously, the Yankees were able to climb back yesterday. They've also been competitive in every game in this series, different from the Red Sox. So I, just, I want to start asking the question to people, the Red Sox fans, is the young core of the Yankees maybe a little bit more promising than the young core of the Red Sox right now? Like which? Oh, my answer to that is pretty simple. I think it is. And I think, you know, I, I heard something today from – um, from one of the Yankees beat reporters, I can't remember who it was, that said that th- this was the loudest that the new Yankee stadium has ever been. Um, and that includes the World Series. So, you know, Aaron Judge has really lit up that New York fan base. They're really involved in a way that I feel like Sox fans haven't been um, in at least a few years, since 2013, really. Yeah, the um, comeback last night was outstanding. I watched that whole thing. I've watched every that, game of this series. I've been enjoying agree, this. And I think, I've been enjoying this series so much more than I enjoyed the Red Sox series against the Astros. I agree. And you know, I have two I have two things that I look at it and I go, Wow, like the Yankees are real. Uh one of one of which is the power that Sanchez and, and, and Judge bring to the table and the other is, you know, even without Dylan Patantis, who's become a disaster somehow in the last month. Um the Yankees, you know, they have an amazing bullpen, which they showed us in that wild card game, um, you know, when they only got one out from their starting pitcher. The Yankees have a really legit pitching staff uh, once you get past the starters. And even then, you know, Tanaka looks like he's back to being, you know, his rookie year self. Uh-huh. Um, Sonny Gray pitched a great game last night. Thought. And Sonny Gray is far and away one of the best acquisitions made at the deadline last year. David um, Robertson has been amazing for them in the playoffs, and he's and, still under contract. Yeah, David Robertson year. is still is still a, a, a crazy good reliever. I think they are more well built to win than we are because two things: one, they have that power, and yes. say what you want about average and defense, and you need that power. power and the Yankees don't you have need it. that power. Every team that the had that have won anything in the last twenty years. You know, 04. Including the Red 13, Sox, exactly. Exactly. 04 and 13 are not, you know, they weren't. I mean, sure, we had, you know, Schilling and we had Tate. Sure, we had great pitchers on those staffs, but we have great pitching now in Chris. And I think, you know, the one thing that we're really lacking is that power. We had that David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez punch. And then it was, da- and then it was David Ortiz and Jason Bay. And it was Jason Ortiz and X, Y, and Z, and we don't have that David Ortiz. And Hanley Ramirez, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to rip on Hanley Ramirez. He had surgery two days ago on his uh, left shoulder. But he's, he's not Ortiz. Been and... bothering him, but he's not Ortiz, even though he did play extraordinarily well in the ALDS. Um, he's not Ortiz, and I don't think he's young enough to really be the power bat in the lineup yeah. consistently over the course of an entire season. And if you just want a really ta- streaky player at this point in his career. And if you just want to talk about this core of the Yankees versus the core of the Red Sox, a great argument I heard the other day. Take take out pitchers for a minute because you can't compare pitchers to positional players. It's just one for one. It's just a mess. It's a dumb conversation to have. But 
just going down the ladder, you know, Yankees best player, Red Sox best player, you know, I guess, you know, Mookie Betts versus Aaron Judge. Who would you rather have? Which uh, I'd actually rather have Aaron Judge. Say, I, think, I hate to say this because Mookie Betts is, is, I think, you know, an AL MVP caliber player if he plays the way that he I, we've seen him play before. Um, and he's a little bit more polished, but I'd rather have Aaron Judge hitting home runs. Just and that. Maybe that's because that's what we need yeah. on this team. That's what I'd rather see. Yeah, and I'm I'm willing to say that one's kind of a wash because Mookie Betts is a better fielder. He's a better runner. Not significantly so because I think that actually Aaron Judge's speed and his fielding ability are He's underrated. a better average player. He's a better average hitter. Yeah, he's, um, right. he's just so, not a power guy to so the just, level of Aaron Judge. And there are a few guys in the league that are. Yeah, and I'm so I'm willing to, and in the end, I would rather have Judge too, just because they need that middle lineup power guy, and those guys are hard to come by. But you know, I'm willing for the sake of conversation to say it's a it's a tie, it's a wash. Like I, I'm not gonna hate anybody. I'm not gonna call you some giant homer if you tell me that you'd rather have Mookie Betts than Aaron Judge. Cause it's a good argument for, it. but then okay, after Aaron Judge, you know, you'd say probably their second best, you know, young guy is Gary Sanchez, right? Yes. Gary yeah, and then I'd say the, the Red well, Sox. Let me, let me, let me, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, Job. And then, is there anybody in you know the Red Sox young core you take? I don't know if you were redrafting these teams. Is there anybody in the Red Sox young core that you take over Gary Sanchez? Any day uh, of the uh, week. Surprisingly, I, I think I would take. I think I would take um, Andrew Benatendi over Gary Sanchez. Um, you see, I couldn't. I couldn't. I really could just because of the power that he provides. And not not the fielding because he's awful. He's an awful catcher, but he's he's so bad. But I, it's just that power. Once again, you're never gonna get that from Benintendi. You can find average players, well, players who play for average, not average players. But you get my point, though. It's just I feel like this young core is stronger, and right now they're showing themselves to be stronger. And then you get into their other guys, you know. Gregorius has been great. I mean, would you rather have Gregorius or some combination of Devers, Bogarts, and Bradley? Would you rather have any three of those guys or Didi Gregorius? I'd rather I'd rather take Rafael Devers. Um, really, Didi Gregorius, I, see, only I, for one reason, and the one reason is that you know, this is his first season. Okay, and he didn't really he didn't really show too much of a slump. I mean, I know he slumped for three weeks in the, there in the end of the season, but he has power, and he's shown, and I think that that kind of energy and power and punch, if you combine that with one more player who really has that swing, uh, would, would really be a big boost to this lineup, and I don't yeah. think that the Yankees can really match that, especially when it comes to the murmurings that I'm hearing that, you know, I don't know if, if you've been reading the same stuff I have, and I know it's, it's a long shot, but I, I, Juan Carlos Stanton wants out of Miami. That's something the that's Patriots interesting. And the, uh, the, uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees really be the only two teams that are going to be hunting for, for big free agent signings. And I know Bryce Harper is going to be a free agent, et cetera, et cetera. And they've all been linked to the Yankees. But the Yankees now have that power guy mm-hmm. in, in Aaron Judge. Are they really going to go out and then sign Bryce Harper to a huge deal? I, I mean, you can, know, you can never like have to too many. The, I would like to see the Red Sox in the running for that. I'd like to see the Red Sox, you know, if they have to give up a – Bradley, Bogarts, and and maybe even a bet to get Juan Carlos Stanton. I'm okay with that. 
I mean, I, I mean, I, I've been, I've been very much on that camp. I've been very, I'm very much on team, you know, shake up the core of this team because once again, we're looking at it and I'm starting to, and just to get my DD Gregorius take, we talked about this when you were here over the summer when you were in studio with me. I think DD Gregorius for most of the regular season was one of those underrated players in the league as underrated as a player on New York on the Yankees can be, but no, I mean, I, I'm also for major shakeups to this Yankees core, to this Yankees, to this Red Sox core. But yeah, I just think right now it's, if I had asked anybody, you know, a month or two months ago, you know, which, which of these teams you think has the better young core going forward, at least around here, people be like, oh, it's obviously the Red Sox. The Yankees haven't done crap, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The core of the Yankees has now done more crap than the Red Sox. Like this core has now won more than one playoff game. And, you know, one thing that I really look at in, as far as that goes, as far as the core, the core goes on the, on the Red Sox, is that these guys have now been together since some of them since 2013, the majority since 14 and 15. Mm-hmm. They're not as young as they were when we said, oh, it's the young core, the young core, they're going to build. They're That's another great. point. That's another point. That we, they... have a three, we now have a three-year window where we have Chris Sale, and yep. none of these young guys are signed. That's Andrew a good Bogart point, too. Isn't signed. Jackie Bradley Jr. is not signed. Mookie Betts is not signed. I would, you know, we have a three-year window here, or now a two-year window with Chris Sale on this team, mm-hmm. where we kind of went for broke, and we we dealt a lot of great players to bring him in. I don't know how you felt about the deal when it first happened, but I was ecstatic. Uh huh. I was I was beyond happy. Yep, yep. I feel like now we need to go out and get that power bat, and I wouldn't be surprised if it comes in the form of a a Bryce Harper and not and a free or a free agent and not a trade mm-hmm. um because this this ownership group was absolutely demolished by the media this year um for not going over the luxury tax i know they really didn't want to do that but it's boston and the market is huge if you don't spend to win you're going to fall you're going to fall victim to the media and to the fans and if we miss out on Bryce Harper and it's a money issue and not a contract issue. They'll be eviscerated. A, we think we have enough. They'll be yep. eviscerated, especially since they're going to come out. And if they come out and say, oh, we have a great young outfield with Ben Attendee, Betts, and Bradley Jr., I'm going to be furious. Oh, no, I don't absolutely. know about you, but I would put Bryce Harper in left field over Andrew Ben Attendee any day of the week. Oh, 10 times. Ten ta- Sunday. Exactly. Anyway, though, Job, a lot of good points for you. Thank you for joining us. We It, it has been time to... Do your job as we do every week in the middle of the show and almost near the end of the show, actually. But anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, Job. You'll be back on next week. Thank you. I'll see you next week, Jake. All right. We'll see you next week. See you, Job. All right. Anyway, like I said, we were just, it was just, we were just doing your job with Job Gooded of Real Sports at 101.com. Anyway, you were listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We're going to take a quick break here that we'll be right back with just couple of things I want to tell you guys about, maybe a thought or two about the Bruins, and then I'll bid you all adieu. Anyway, though, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we will be right back. I'm in almost every... The the more wretched hives of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Stadium 
experience, Jake Elmsley, 90.7 WXIN. We've been, we were just uh, doing your job here. We had the Murphquake on with us in the first segment. We were just talking with Joe about some Patriots, a lot of Celtics, a little bit of Red Sox stuff, talking Celtics at the top of the show. And we're going to kind of decompress after what hasn't been the most positive week in Boston sports. And it's just kind of something that I don't know if a lot of people know this exists that I just wanted to make sure I highlighted while I'm sorry about that something I wanted to highlight while I still have my uh, my platform former NBA star Gilbert Arenas claims that most WNBA players are ugly Not only uncomfortable, but also sexist by now many of you have heard the name me Khalifa Pornhub's number one Out of Bounds, the world's most dangerous sports show. Every weekday on Complex. I don't really know how much you can exactly tell from just the audio of that video, but apparently Complex has <laughs> now has Complex, uh, the website. I don't really go on it a lot, but apparently they have Mia Khalifa and... Gilbert Arenas doing a sports show for them now every weekday. And I and it, and it debuted this Monday. So if you haven't heard about this, that's all right. Because I didn't hear about this until last Friday when I was with Dave Cusack, um, our normal closer on the show, even though he hasn't been on in a couple of weeks. But I found out about them. I was so mad that I wasn't able to get in front of this and warn people about this. And I guess give them free publicity because I just, I love this. I think this is the most ridiculous thing to have freaking... Mia Khalifa and Gilbert Arenas just just doing sports talk together. Uh, what I assume is is a very pro Wizards show, but yeah, I I mean this is America, people. You can do whatever you want. You you can take your platform if you can become the number one most searched person on Pornhub. You can take that. You can go do. You can go do a sports show with a star from your favorite <laughs> from your favorite basketball team. You can do a, a, a sports talk show every weekday. And I wish I could do that. I wish I was getting this. I wish I was getting this full-time job doing this five days a week for money. I'd do it with, like, I don't know, Brandon Bass or something. Me and Brandon Bass could have a pretty sick sports show. I'd talk about that. Get uh get me and Drew Bledsoe in here. I don't know, but yeah, I just I wanted to make sure that people know about this. So every weekday on Complex, out of bounds with Mia Khalifa and Gilbert Arenas, which I oh my god, do I love that? Oh god, is that hilarious? What a country! What a country we live in. Now speaking of things that are affecting our country, one more thing I want to get to before we, I guess. Well, not the last thing I want to talk about, but something else I want to get to. Colin Kaepernick, if you haven't heard yet, is apparently suing the league for collusion. He's suing the owners of the league specifically, but he's, well, he's not suing yet. He's filing a grievance against the league and the ownership, accusing them of collusion. He believes that they have, have been conspiring against him. All of them have gone together and just agreed basically not to hire him because of his protests, his kneeling for the anthem, yada, yada, yada. You all know the whole story. Everybody knows about it by now. But supposedly, 
or he's going to sue him for collusion. He did not alert the Players Association to this, which is a little confusing of a step, but he want, I guess maybe he wanted to get it done fast. But the point is that Kaepernick is taking the steps, I assume, to sue the NFL for the fact that he has not been able to get a job this year. He has not been able to become a starting quarterback anywhere, get any quarterback job, really. Uh, reportedly, the thing that broke, the thing that kind of, you know, made him break, made him crack on this, made him want to go this far, the thing that made him go, nope, they're definitely colluding against me, was the Tennessee Titans signing Brandon Whedon to back up Matt Castle after Mariota went down for a couple of, for one week, actually. He only ended up being down for one week, but... Yeah, with this, and also the owners almost the next day invited him to the owners meeting where they can talk about, you know, better ways to do community outreach and yada, 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 yada. So, you know, they're doing damage control on this. Now they're basically trying to convince him not to sue them, I'm assuming is what they're doing, but who knows. But yeah, I think that it, this, with this happening, we're not going to see Colin Kaepernick in the NFL like ever again. Which not to say that I agree with that or don't agree with that, I... He has a right to his stances, all that. I don't disagree with what he did. In the end, the kneeling does not get to me. I understand the higher purpose of it all. And, but with all that, the owners now have a pretty, if they were excluding him. And yeah, they've, he's been being blackballed. Like I've been a little guilty at times of going through, you know, the different events, the different guys who've been signed instead of Kaepernick and going, oh, well, this one makes sense. Oh, well, you know, this one makes sense. If you look at it a different way, I've been very guilty of that. Maybe being a contrarian with, you know, Dave and Josh and all them who are very much passionate about this issue. And I've been a little guilty. But in the end, when I'm listing this many and some of them make less sense than others, it's pretty obvious that the league is going out of their way not to sign them. Now, the legal issue will be, do they have the right not to do this? Do they have? Now, what this will hinge on core is. It could be found as collusion, but also if they can say, oh, well, it'll hurt our bottom line because of your views were a business. The legal battle for this, I think, will be pretty interesting. I think that Kaepernick obviously has a case that they're colluding against him, but I think it will come down to if the ownership can prove that even if they are colluding against him, that it's not illegal, that they're not hiring him because they believe that his stances will affect their bottom line, which is fair. There are a lot of, you know... America guys that watch football that obviously are not happy with what him and now a lot of NFL players are doing. So that will probably be the crux of their argument if they are proven to be colluding. So it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, once again, I mean, Kaepernick is pretty much definitely out of the NFL. Now we're definitely not gonna see him play this year. And I don't think that you can really ever go from suing the owners to, yeah, being signed by one of them, being hired by one of them. Regrettably, because he doesn't deserve that. But, no, that's the case right now. That's the update with Colin Kaepernick. One more thing I want to get to is that... And yes, we're going to do Bruins talk on this show, which we never do. Today, Tuka Rask was hurt at practice, apparently, today, October, at the afternoon practice, apparently... And this is coming from the Boston Herald. Word for word now. Bruins goalie Tuka Rask had to be helped on the ice, off the ice, after Anders Bajork crashed into him during practice Wednesday morning at Warrior Ice Arena. Rask appeared to be feeling a bit woozy, yada, yada, yada. 
And apparently he's dealing with concussion-like symptoms. And the Bruins, obviously, the next game is tomorrow. Against is tomorrow against, I believe they are playing. Yes, they're going tomorrow against the Vancouver Canucks. Thank you for my own sports brief for telling me that. But yes, they're going against the Canucks. And if he's not able to play, they're going to be sending out Hudobin to play. Which, mind you, maybe isn't the worst thing because up to this point this year, Tuca has not been good. I mean, I know you can give me all the hawks if you want. He's had a decent amount of saves, but still in every game they've played, he's given up four goals against the Predators, four goals against the Avalanche, six goals against the Avalanche, then three goals against, you know, the rebuilding Golden Knights, who God knows how are four and one right now through some miracle. I don't understand how, but yeah, Tuka Rask has not been great, which by the way, it's not only on him because the defensive core of this team has been atrocious. The defensive core of this team was going to be atrocious going into the season. I don't think any of us were fooled in that regard. So this obviously isn't all on Tuka, but as of right now, it's looking like we might be seeing Hudobin tomorrow night against the Canucks. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But with that, we have hit on every major sport, and I think it's that special time of day when I bid you all adieu. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. Thank you for listening in. If you've been enjoying the episode, you missed a part of it, you want to hear the beginning, or you've just been enjoying it, you just want to listen to it again. This episode, as all episodes except for last week, when you had technical difficulties, hated the episode, didn't want to upload it, didn't want to give you guys crap, but... As we usually do, this episode will be uploaded to the official Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley SoundCloud. And as all episodes also go, it'll be available for download on iTunes. Just look up the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on iTunes. You'll be able to download every episode over the last couple months. Anyway, though, thank you for listening. Uh, All prayers going to Gordon Hayward, his family. I wish him a speedy recovery. I hope he can come back soon. Come back this season. Come back next season even stronger. Anyway, though. With that, you've been listening to Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. I'll be back next week, Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m., right here on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that, I bid you all adieu.